Okay, yeah, as you guys enter, try to kind of squish in. Um, I know we're, we're in a session about insecurity, so maybe this can be your first <laughs> practical application of getting closer to someone. Sorry, that was a little joke. I, it's real pain, but you, I understand. Okay. Um, all right, my name is Jill. I'm just gonna get started, because I'm already digging myself in a hole. Um, I am the Oaks Ministry Director, and uh, uh, that's a ministry starting at High Point. If you were here last night, we talked a little bit about it. But it's really meant for any church and lots of organizations to collaborate and create, uh, help equip the church to be a rehabilitative community for people in the healing process. And that all sounds nice and fancy, and I'm standing up here right now, but this is all happening because I've had to go through my own healing process. Uh, I am naturally profoundly um, inhibited <laughs> and insecure and um, that's come out of wounds that's come out of betrayal that's come out of relationships and it's really 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 hard to undo that and so I care a lot about this topic uh, and I just want you to know that I am still in that process it's a process and you're not alone and it's really 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 hard um, so thank you for showing up and being here. Showing up is like the best thing you could ever do. If that's one thing you take out of the session, just show up at the next thing. Um, thank you for showing up right now. So I'm going to start, I'm going to pray, and then we'll dive in. Um, there's handouts, and um, Chris is going to pass those out to you. There's two handouts, and I basically just gave you all of my notes because this is for you. I hope that it's helpful. You can refer back and you can expound on them yourself and explore more things too. Okay. So this is not, um, comprehend it's as comprehensive as I know, <laughs> right? But God is working in you and he's working in lots of people. And so hopefully it's a resource, but you can expand on it. So I'll pray and then we'll get started. Um, God, thank you for this time together, and uh, I pray that you would be our counselor right now. I pray that this would be a place where we can show up as our real selves and talk about what is hard and also how you're with us and how you turn our limitations and the worst thing that's happened to us into capacities for your glory and your strength in us. And uh, you're doing that, you've already been doing that, and you're doing that right now. And I pray that uh, you would uh, fill me with your spirit right now so that you could speak to us and, and say what you want to say to your people in grace and truth. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so you'll be getting your handouts. I'm going to do a little intro so you're not missing anything. Uh, <clears throat> so when we approach this topic... Uh, you might be coming from a number of different places. So I we can be, we can feel shattered and disintegrated from what's happened to us, from people. So you might have real betrayal where you thought you could trust someone and you probably should have been able to trust them. And then they completely, it, your world is upside down, right? It's completely different than when you thought. That's extremely confusing. Um, it's extremely painful. And what it does is it reflects for us our view on our view of God and even our view of ourselves. We start to wonder, was I crazy? Like, did I miss something? <laughs> did I miss something? What should I have known something? Uh, the feeling I often feel when I've been betrayed or when I think I'm going to be betrayed 
or out of the wounds that I have of betrayal is that I'm stupid. That's how it feels. Like I'm, I knew I, I am so stupid that I trusted that person. Um, so it can feel like that. It can feel like uh, very internalized, like you hate yourself. You, you feel like you're unwanted because there must be something wrong with you. That same thing has made people leave every time, or it seems that way. Uh, it can, and this all kind of starts with our relationships with others and how we interact in the world and what we experience and how others reflect their experience of us onto us and also the sins that they do against us and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but this ultimately reflects on our view of God. So um, what we're going to talk about is rooted in, uh, I think you guys have this diagram on shame. I'm going to get into this in a little bit, but what we're kind of talking about right now is this experience of internalized shame that it leads to insecurity in your self-perception, trusting your own thoughts, in your perception of relationships and trusting other people, and your perception and your relationship with God. So that's what we're trying to kind of unpack and then rebuild as we go. So first, I want to talk about two key elements of this uh, on, around security and trust. Those are both in the, in the uh, title of the breakout that I had to pick. It's like, this is a complicated topic. I'm just going to try to mush together the words that are supposed to be there. So we're talking about security and trust. And uh, our goal, uh, to give you kind of a picture, is to be like a horse. Okay? I'm going to unpack that. Horses are extremely strong inside. They're very muscular. They're very strong. They're very powerful. So they have this internal security. By security, I don't mean like this self-confidence. I mean like they have literal, they could like run over a person and trample them, right? Like they are secure and they have the strength inside of them that's real and uh, pretty immovable to most things. But they also are soft on the outside. They could get, I mean, they have, they have to do, have a trust of that person to sit on them, that that person and, and them are going to work together, that that person isn't just going to slash them with a knife, right? They have to have that external trust. And uh, both of those are important, working together in our experience of a horse. They're very calm because they're secure, and that builds trust in relationship with them. Uh, and there's security also. I mean, there's, there's ways this analogy breaks down, which we're not going to get into. So just we're going to focus on that. Okay. The, another picture, though, is this external security uh, and internal trust. So this is when we feel like it's a crab, if you can't see that. Get away. Uh, so <laughs> the crab has this, it seems strong in a sense because you don't want to touch it. You don't want to get near to it. Uh, it's hard on the outside. Uh, but inside, it's just mushy. There's, there's no strength in there. The, the, the strength is a kind of a projection. It's a, I can only trust myself, and I better protect myself, because no one else. I can't trust anything else. There's no external trust. So when the wounds that we've experienced are internalized, uh, we can end up like this crab. I, I have been a crab a lot of my life, 
and still am sometimes because we want to self-protect, we want to shut down, we want to put that shell up, we don't want to get near pe- we don't want to get near people. It might feel more like we don't want people to get near us. It could go both ways. Uh, but that's kind of what ends up happening, and we want to try to figure out how do we develop that internal security and how do we develop that external trust, which might feel so impossible to you right now. And I have been there, and I can go back there, and it's really hard. So what we're going to talk about now is just some more dynamics of how this works. I know this looks... Nick Gibson and I made this diagram, so that's why it looks the way it does, because... <laughs> we're always like, oh, these two categories, but then these seven categories, but then these 15 categories. So um, this is probably, I mean, there probably could be more categories we could come up with. We just ended up stopping ourselves, okay? So hopefully this is helpful. But uh, if you were in Nick's last session, he, or if you didn't know this, he did a session last uh, session on, basically on this godly sorrow side. Uh, oh, I have, a, I have a little thingy. Look at this, this side. Um, so he was focused more on this. I think he explained the whole thing. I wasn't there, but his goal was to really talk about how do we engage with shame towards atonement and free, like and getting free from it. We're gonna that's that's relevant for us too. But what we're kind of getting at is how do we engage in worldly sorrow and false atonement, which is internal internal trust. We're trusting in our own ways to self atone um, when we've experienced when we're a victim or a perpetrator. And this leads to disintegration, which is insecurity, isolation, self-condemnation, and destroyed identity. Uh, and so a lot of these, we want to figure out how do we turn... Oops, I'm sorry, guys. How do we turn back to atonement? We need, when, we, when we feel the shame, even if, it's a, even if we were a victim we still need to bring that to God in atonement, which means the death and resurrection of Christ, his death for us, that frees us from the shame. He scorned the shame. That's what Hebrews 12 says, for the joy set before him on the cross. Okay, so in all these things, uh, we will feel profoundly humiliated, and it will inhibit us and inhibit us and inhibit us, and we will be stuck Oh my goodness, you guys. How do I go backwards? Okay, great. I've never used this before, (laughs) except for last session, but. uh, Okay, so we can just swirl in here, right? And that might be how you feel. How do I, I feel so inhibited. How do I get out? How do I build trust? How do I try again? Um, How do I get out of my own head? And um, so the way to do that is really to practice. So that's what we're gonna get into. So we're aiming for this. I kind of talked about this a little bit. These, what we're aiming for is rooted, these, this list is from an attachment book. So we're, one counter to insecurity is working on bonding. That might be the last thing you want to do, okay? But that's sort of the counter is how do I, how do I develop that trust uh, and that attachment. And so what, it, what we're shooting for might look like this, okay? So we're talking about security and trust, but it looks like emotional strength, which is resilience. Uh, it looks like a willingness to seek and accept comfort 
especially in times of trouble, instead of I'm gonna show up here and be one way and then I'm gonna completely like be a mess behind closed doors. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to integrate that. I don't know how to come into relationship with that. Uh, it could look like courage for love and intimacy in relationships with God and others. So being the one to take that initiation instead of wondering why is no one, why is no one notice me? Am I completely invisible? And um, being responsible for ourselves, and we have the power to create loving relationships. Uh, why should we try? <laughs> uh, that's at least how I feel sometimes with relationships. Why? Why am I trying so hard at this? Why am I trying? Uh, and. I, I want to emphasize this down here. Maybe we are so scared to try because it means so much. And we're so scared uh, that it won't work, um, that, we, that we won't have what we want and we long for, and so we instead shut down our desire for it, or it comes out sideways in other ways. This quote is from um, Tim Clinton in the book Attachments. There's a reference sheet in the end of your packet, too. So you can go back to those if you want. But um, it says, relationship or bonding is at the foundation of God's nature in us. Since we are created in his likeness, relationship is our most fundamental need, the very foundation of who we are. Without relationship, without attachment to God and others, we can't be ourselves. And so the profound irony is that as we are kind of shutting down into ourselves in self-protection, we're also becoming less and less of ourselves. Our identity is not rooted in other people and what they think of us, but it is formed with other people in relationships with our parents. With, that's, that's where some of, you know, like it either is formed or deformed in relationships. So our parents, our friends, our church, our experiences with other people tell us more and more about who we are. Okay, so this is, we all want this. Somewhere deep inside, maybe it's been kind of shut down for a while. We all really, really need it. It's important to healing. It's important to resurrection. This, this might be the thing God needs to resurrect in you. And uh, healing is also a process. That's what we've been talking about at this conference. And so uh, what that means is there might be punctuated moments of healing where you realize a deep wound and how that's affected you. And maybe you like have a really good session where you're crying with a friend about it. You get out what happened and that's been really healing. Like you feel better about that, but then it's still, okay, now how do I relate though in my relationships now? How do I carry out that healing? And these are the practices we're going to talk about for form for that's going to be a process of healing. It's going to feel like death at first, and then it's going to be a resurrection. Okay, all of life is death and resurrection, including this. So let's just go through some um, practices for developing security, and these are done in faith. This is done by presenting our weakness, coming in our weakness, showing up. Again, if, if you hear anything, hear that just show up in your weakness, and that's when we are restored and transformed. And so show up and try. And then um, this, is, this is some things you can try. Again, this is not an extensive list. This is just a, let's get creative about what we can try. Like, let's try something. Uh, these are like physical therapies you might be able to try for, the, for what's been atrophied in self-protection. Uh, and we're going to go through relationship with others. We're going to start there because 
this is often, like I mentioned at the beginning, where our self-perception and our relationship with God gets kind of off because we're, we're going off of uh, our relationships with others and how other people treat us. So how do we, when we've been shattered by other people, when other people have betrayed us, and we do feel like, I would be stupid to trust anyone else ever again. That feeling is real, and that needs to be grieved because that was wrong, what happened. should not have happened. But then, how do I engage in redemptive relationships with other people? So let's, let's um, dive into that. Oops. Okay, so these are all listed in your, uh, in your handout as some ideas. And again, these are based in criteria for attachment, what to look for in attachment. But uh, I'm going to run through these, and then we'll have time for questions at the end after I go through all the sections and all the different practices. So one of them is seeking proximity with others, especially in times of trouble. Okay, so you might be like, great, that sounds nice. Uh, <laughs> what do I do? And here's one thing, one way that's looked for me. Uh, use a negative emotion as a red flag, or like, not a red flag, like a trigger point to reach out. Okay, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to decide that before it happens that you're gonna do that. You might even have to pick someone who is trustworthy and say, "When I am uh, debilitated in anxiety, which I struggle with, I don't know if you knew that, I I need someone to call and just pray for me. I need to not spiral in that. So, would you be willing to be someone I could call when that's happening to me, and we don't even have to talk about it?" It might not even be helpful for me to go there, but could you just pray for me? And you'll know what that means, and I know what that means. Okay, that's one way that you have to make a plan ahead um, so that when it happens, you, that person knows and you know, this is what I need to try. Okay, that's just one, again, one idea. This is what produces intimacy over time with people and trust over time, even when you don't feel the trust at first. Um, second, uh, there's this... A sense of security that a caregiver should provide that might not be there. And so, uh, and might, you might not have a capacity to even feel that security around someone because of what's happened to you or what you've experienced. And so what we're looking for is to, again, you have to kind of decide beforehand. You have to look more objectively. It's like driving in manual instead of um, automatic, okay? So you've got to look for who is a trustworthy person, uh, some of my friends joke that it's taken me 10 years to be their friend because <laughs> they're like, I thought we were friends like nine years ago, but you still don't seem like you think we're friends because for me, it's very like manual. I have to be like, that person is trustworthy. That person won't leave me. They have a decade of experience of showing up. Okay. So it should be way before that. That's what I'm trying to tell you. But you might have to look for that person and look at their character and watch them and see the evidence, and maybe even write it down, okay? This might have to be extremely practical. You need something to look back to when you're doubting and you're afraid that someone's going to leave you, and you have to be like, no, look, they, they did that for me, they did that for me, they showed up there. You need that, okay? Um, so, but what you, how you feel secure with this person or not will also be dependent on what you bring and expect for comfort, okay? So no one is going to fix you. No one can do that. You can't fix yourself. <laughs> so what you're going to someone for, insecurity and trust, is to be not alone, for them to see you 
in your pain and know you as a whole person. They also have seen you when you're happy. They know what you love, okay? So you're not only your pain, they see you as a whole person and they're not trying to fix you. They're not just trying to make you better so that you can finally engage in relationship, okay? You, this is part of your whole person that you are. Um, so that's another thing to just kind of look for. What kind of person can you trust so that you can practice this with? Um, and then the caregiver get, provides a secure base from which to explore the world. This is, again, talking about parents, but we can see this ripple effect in our lives. And so uh, we need a team of people, in a sense. We need people that we can come back to and touch base with, but our insecurity isn't um, grabbing onto them as the thing that's going to fix us or comfort us only, right? Because, like, I think of my, my um, three-year-old. She loved her nook so much. And every time she was upset, she wanted her nook. But then she was like two and a half, and then she was three. She needed to get rid of her nook so she could find comfort and then go out in the world. So we started just putting it in her bed, and she could go back and get it sometimes. But then she could go explore the world, okay? So you have to, you have these attachments to things. Hopefully, people is what you should be attached to, not a nook. But you have these attachments to things that you can, then I, you know, I can come for her and give her a hug, but she feels like, mom is there when I come back. I can go do other things. I'm not, I'm not insecurely um, going back to her. I'm going back to her for comfort, not for her to fill me or fix me. And so that's the type of relational pattern we also need to develop for our healing. Uh, some, yeah, some things to look for. They cheer you on. They're honest with you. Um, the good things and hard things. But the hard things are said for your good. And you need, a, you need a lot of them. No one person can do all of that for you all the time. Uh, and then this is, a, a parent, from a parent's perspective and a kid, any threat of separation reduces fear and anxiety or loss of the caregiver produces grief and sorrow. Uh, I won't do a share of hands because I don't want you to feel exposed. But think for yourself, is there anyone that I would actually miss if they were gone? Like, do I have someone in my life that if they weren't there, would I miss them? Would I, gr like, go through a grieving cycle when they were gone? And... Um, Sometimes we don't have that person because we have experienced that and we don't ever want to experience that again. But also, um, there's a difference between loss and abandonment. And when someone has betrayed us, they have abandoned us. And it is devastating. And it is a grief that needs to be grieved. But um, it's different than losing something or not being around something for a little while and missing something that is good and that you love and that will be there again. Um, so I, I hope that makes sense, but it's, it's not a good sign if we don't miss anyone. <laughs> that, that means we are, we are missing something in our lives that we need for our healing and our restoration. Uh, okay, seeking integrity. And this is integrity in relationships. This is, instead of disintegration, we want integration. So integrity means one whole person, one whole thing, okay? So uh, sometimes when we have internalized shame, what happens is that we're one person over here, and we're one person over here, and we're one person over there, and our internal person only, our, our real self only comes out, and our feelings only come out when we're by ourselves because we don't trust anyone with that. We don't go to people for comfort. 
And so this is ways to seek integration. Uh, be honest about what you feel. Be honest about how you're doing. Be honest about what you need and what, what, you, what you need from someone. So like when I gave the example of praying, I need someone to pray for me when I'm anxious and I need to tell someone that I'm anxious. Will you be that person? That's really, people love that because they want to help you and then they know how, right? It's not like, please fix my entire life <laughs> and I'm not going to tell you I need that, right? It's, here's one thing you can do to help me and that's what I need. And practicing confession and profession, that's confession of wrong and profession of truth. And practicing repentance and forgiveness. Um, these are really important. And if it's hard when you're on automatic of insecurity and not sharing and self-protecting to not do this. And so one way that I had to kind of break this cycle in myself was in going back. When a real-time situation came up, for example, I was there was a funeral at church, and I was helping with it, and I, it was a very triggering um, situation for me because of my wounds, and so I was feeling really shaken up. I was feeling really off that day. I saw one of my closest friends at church, and she said, how are you doing? And I said, I'm fine, and I, we just kept chatting. She said, are you okay? Are you sure you're okay? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. I'm, I'm great. And she knows me. She's known me for a decade. And she knows I wasn't okay. <laughs> That's what she was asking. But I was like, I'm fine. And then I went into my office and sobbed on the floor in a fetal position for an hour. Okay, so I was not okay, apparently. And later I saw her and I realized I lied to her. I was myself. I was one self over here and I was one self over here. And she is one of my closest people. And when you're intimate with someone, you know them and you love them. So I told her, I said, this might seem silly, but before you asked how I was doing, and I said I was fine, and I was 100% not fine, and this is what I did instead, and I lied to you. I don't know why I didn't tell you. You're one of the closest people in my life, and I, you care, I care so much about you. And she's like, I know you weren't okay. And, like, it was a really good moment. Like, it was really... Um, bonding for our relationship. So it might not happen in real time, and that's okay. You can come back and form those practices, and they'll get more and more in real time as you, as you keep practicing. And then um, boundaries, bonding, and love. We live in a culture that loves boundaries. <laughs> On my Instagram, there's like, I don't know, every other quote. It's like, you do you. Like, what serves you? Just keep it, and if it doesn't, leave it. You know, like, boundaries... They're very important, but what it's become is what do I need and what makes me happy and what makes me feel safe, which if we're operating out of our wounds and not, um, not coming to the Lord with them as a victim and a perpetrator, going through practices of repentance and forgiveness and healing, if we are operating out of our wounds, that's, that feeling of safety is going to get smaller and smaller. More and more is going to make us feel anxious. And so our boundaries are going to get tighter and tighter and tighter until no one can touch us at all, <laughs> right? So um, I want to encourage you to start thinking about boundaries as how much can I entrust instead of how much can I hold back from someone else? How much, how much can I entrust in love and see what happens and know that if it doesn't work, I can tell them how I feel. I can, I can say it was wrong. They can apologize to me. 
and um, we can have a restored relationship. If that doesn't happen, now I know how much I can entrust to them. It's less than before, right? Um, it's less, when we're self-protective, it's very, it's very much like, I can't trust anyone with anything. I'll try a little bit, and if you disappoint me, you don't get another chance. And that is going to make our world and ourselves smaller and smaller and smaller. So, um, oh, there's, there's so much I could say about each of these, even more. But let's go to, um, yeah, before we move on, I just want to emphasize that these practices give fortitude for failure because people will hurt you. They have, and that's the thing you are the most afraid of happening again because it is devastating and it's so painful and people will fail you again. Um, so we, what we need to do is address that wound and grieve it and p p feel it. <laughs> and uh, we also need to re get redemption in relationships, in new relationships. And so um, we, and some of that is realizing that sometimes people do say, I'm sorry. And sometimes people do, we do reconcile and they do come back. And uh, it makes fortitude in relationships and strength and intimacy. Okay, so let's go to trusting, cultivating trust with God. Uh, this one is usually kind of a layer underneath that one we just addressed. We might not even realize we don't trust God because we know we're supposed to trust God, right? And so we do trust God and we believe in God. And so any question that might come up, uh, it feels wrong. But we got to look at what, yeah, maybe I don't trust God fully. So what do I need to do about that? Like, let's just get curious about it. And we cultivate trust with God primarily through spiritual disciplines because that's how we relate to God. And uh, sometimes if I think we're afraid, I know this is true for me, that God isn't going to be there when we reach out. Or I'm going to do that hard thing he asked me to do and then I'm going to get there and he's going to, it was a trick. I'm stupid. I'm stupid for trusting him. He's, he's tricking me, okay? I feel that all the time. And it makes it really hard to move past our inhibitions to do the thing he called us to do, just like Peter on the boat. He, he saw Jesus, and he loved Jesus. Walking on the water, he saw him, and he jumped out of the boat. He wanted to be with Jesus. And then he was like, wait a second. This must be a trick, because I'm standing on water. Uh, and then he noticed that, and he started sinking. Okay, so But God was not tricking him. He was, when he fixed his eyes on, on Jesus, he could walk on water too. And so... Uh, it will feel like maybe God is tricking us, tricking me. Maybe, maybe he's setting me up for failure. Maybe he wants to humiliate me. Maybe he's not there. And I'm scared to try because I'm scared he won't be there when I show up. And so what we do need to take from what we know about God in our trust of him is that he is faithful and his promises are real and true. So we can try and show up and he will he will meet you there. I can say that with full confidence. It may not look the way that you expect it to, but he will be there when you, when you try. Um, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29 says that when we seek him with all our heart, we will be, he will be found by us. And that's what it says, declares the Lord. He, that's him saying that. So um, ways that we can try and build trust with God. <clears throat> um, let me just kind of find Okay, so first of all, the scriptures. I know that this, 
if you come from a like a really religious background or like a Baptist church, like this will be like, this has been a harm for me. I've I've misinterpreted it, or I people have used the scriptures in a harsh way, and I that makes me not trust God. And so that's exactly where I want to get curious about that. Reengage in a new way. Um, one thing I had to do uh, related to this was start reading the NLT, which is the New Living Translation. Okay, that might sound like a weird tiny switch. Uh, I'm now back. I used to read the ESV, but I was the words were so ingrained in my head, and I had such a picture of God in my head based on those words that I needed to hear it in another way, and that really helped. Okay, it helped fill out what I was I knew already. Uh, and, and yeah, just see different facets of the same word and what that actually means in the tone. So that might be something you can try. Um, bring your questions into relationship with other people that you trust to get a different, uh, you need someone to reflect the face of God in a new way. If you've had someone, and especially an authority figure who has uh, led you to not trust God, you think he's He's disappointed in you. You think he's not even looking at you. You think he's gone. Um, you think he's mad. You need someone who can reflect back the real face of Jesus to you. Okay, so that's a good person to bring your questions to because they will meet you empowered by the Spirit uh, in the way that God would meet you. Uh, the, yeah, there's a bunch of ideas in here. I don't know if I'm going to go through all of them, but... Um, I, I gave you all of them so that you could have it as a resource. But try to approach the scriptures in a new way and get curious about the things that you feel like are hard for you with that and why, okay? Because there's probably a wound there that you can work through, and then it, it's maybe not really about the scriptures, okay? Uh, second is uh, solitude and silence. And this often also has to be pre-decided <laughs> when, when you're feeling really motivated or feeling like, yeah, I need, to, I need to build that in. We are so afraid of being alone with God. Like we talked about, we're afraid he's not, maybe, maybe he's not there. What if he doesn't do anything? What if I bring him my need and I'm sad and I don't feel better? What does that mean about God? Uh, what does that mean about me? And, uh, but silence... He's, God is not going to shout over our worldliness and our distraction from him um, because he doesn't need, he's always there. He doesn't need to. Uh, he wants us. He's going to pursue us, and sometimes he will cause something to really just wake us up, okay? But um, when you seek him in silence, you will, you will learn to experience him, and you'll see how he's there. Again, it might not look, you might not hear like direct sentences from him, but he will work in your process of healing, especially when you're bringing those things to him. One thing that's really helpful for me is journaling. Um, I write down every single thought I have to God as a prayer, because that's really hard for me to focus, especially when it's quiet, on just like thought praying. I just end up thinking about other things. And so writing out my prayer, uh, I have like so many journals in my house now because like I, I write a lot, but, uh, and I don't really go back and read them. It's more an exercise for me to pray to God in silence and solitude and hear from him. Um, and extended time can really help with this too. So quarterly, one thing that I'm trying to build in right now in my life is to have a couple hours where I just go on a walk or I journal and I 
pray and I just pour my heart out to God and see what happens. Um, third is um, simplicity. And this is just another way we can distract ourselves, not with noise, but with things. <laughs> and, um, and with pace. Uh, this is a point from uh, Tim McClinton's book, too, but I thought it was a really good point. And one of the best practices for developing trust with God in provision and protection and seeing how he provides for us uh, is Sabbath. And so that's, you can go back and read Exodus 16, but that's about in when the Israelites were wandering in the desert, uh, God said he would provide for them manna from heaven. And they, he gave them specific instructions for how to gather it, and it was daily, except for on the seventh day. And he said, I'll give you, I'll give you enough. Don't gather more. You should rest. You should stop. And, and trust me. And if they didn't do that, the food was going to spoil. The extra food they gathered was going to spoil. And they just, they just didn't do it. They went out and looked, and they were like, oh. I, they went out to gather more when he told them there wouldn't be any, and then the extra they gathered spoiled. And we, as humans, do that all the time. <laughs> um, we do that all the time. In the Old Testament, there's also commands for celebration and, and rest, years of jubilee, and those were the commands that weren't followed for generations. They followed the sacrifices a lot of times, but they disobeyed in, please rest and trust me that I will provide for you. And so I, I want you to see God's heart in doing that for us and our unwillingness to trust him in that and experience that restoration from uh, seeing him show up for us. Okay, and then uh, next is just humility uh, and meekness. Uh, are you relying? These are just questions you can think through with a friend, a mentor, a counselor, um, with the Lord in your own quiet time but, or devotional time. But are you relying on your status for a feeling of connection? This is one way to attach with people or with God is to attach to a thing that's kind of connected to the person on the other side. So for me, this can be work. I can... I can feel attached to a person when we're doing a, a task together. And it's hard for me to feel close to that person if that thing was removed completely. And so um, just being aware, are there things that I'm like status or whatever it is that I am desiring because then I feel like I'm attached to God? Uh, okay. Prayer meditation. Uh, I think is pretty, I mean, that's kind of come up around the other things we've talked about. Uh, but I want to make sure we emphasize thankfulness. So to, it's going to be hard in these moments that our wounds feel really loud and the lies feel really loud and the betrayal and all of our experiences feel really loud. And so what we need to do is develop liturgies of faithfulness. And to remember God's faithfulness. And so that might look like writing down thankfulness at the end of each day. What did God do? God, what did you do for me today that I can see and that I can look back to later when I'm doubting you? I've had to do this with people too. So, because I have a lot, I have a lot of trust issues, you guys. I hope um, you feel seen and known <laughs> that I'm with you. Okay. Um, and then another one with relating with God is fasting and feasting. So intentionally, this is a similar to the Sabbath, but when we, when we 
intentionally look at something that it can be more important to us than God and intentionally deprive ourselves of it because we want to we want to show God that he is more important to us. We do this in relationships all the time, right? Or if you're married and have a spouse, you, you give up stuff to say, no, this is more important. Um, this is, you are more important than this thing. You are more important. What we're doing right now is more important. And so that's, that's like fasting with God, but um, you're also entrusting his power to do what he wants to do in your life for your good and his glory without you making it happen, without producing it yourself. Uh, and then celebrating, again, is getting back at that faithfulness piece of God. All right, we're going to now go into cultivating trust in your own self-perception. This is a deeper layer than the other two. Because uh, you might wonder, you know, how do I know if that's, how do I even trust myself to know if I can trust God and other people? Because I got, like, I thought I could trust that person, and then that wasn't true. Or I thought this was true about me, but then the way everyone else is acting, it doesn't seem true. So what do I do with that? We lose our self-trust, and, and by that I don't mean self-confidence. I mean, can I believe who God has made me to be, what he's told me to do, and his spirit and his mind live within us, empowering us and making us into who we're created to be. That's what we're talking about this conference is how is he restoring you? And so we have to get some traction somewhere and trust what he's telling us inside of ourselves. So this is working backwards and getting here. All of this is getting curious. Like why, why is that confusing for me? Or why do I feel anxious about that thing? And I'm not really sure it's going to happen. Or why do I feel inhibited in that way? And especially inhibitions, those, those you're trying to self-protect in some way. You're telling, there's something in you that says, don't do that thing ever again. Don't do it. We tried that. Don't do it ever again. And often these are inhibitions for good things. And so that's a really big curiosity point. Why don't you want to do that thing? ever again. What's under there? And this is something to walk through with, uh, with someone else, really. Okay. Um, this, of course, walk through this with the Lord too, but it will really, it'll be part of your process of healing when you unfold these questions with God and you get curious about your inhibitions and your wounds with God, but then you bring them into relationship with other people because then you, it's that integration piece. You're being seen and known and they can cheer you on in who you're becoming in Christ. Uh, so after getting curious, identifying further triggers. So often we have this core wound, but then there's these, com these confirming evidences that we see everywhere. Okay, so there's a wound, there's this lie that happens, and then you see it, and you see it, and you see it, and those make it into a reality then for you. And so what you want to start noticing is, what do I really react to, like, way up here? And everyone else is kind of like, over here. Like, that wasn't that big of a deal, but I am like, I can't handle it. I'm so mad. I'm so sad. I have to get away. I need to run away. I need to, like, ghost that person, whatever it is. You feel the wall go up. Um, those are those there's something there's something being confirmed there that will lead you back to what's that core belief that you have 
Some just common triggers, especially with bonding and attachment, are relationship disputes. So being in a conflict, you might feel like, I've never actually seen two people have tension and not grow further and further apart. I have never seen that, right? So then every time there's a little conflict, it feels like we're already over here. <laughs> um, Transitions could be positive or negative. It's when your world is changing and it feels like there's stuff out of control, some, something you're usually losing something in a transition, even if it's a good thing um, that you're moving into and it was a good thing and you're, you're deciding that to move on, that's still a loss and it can feel like abandonment if you're used to that. Um, unresolved grief. Uh, I like to say that pain comes out sideways. And what I mean by this is if you don't feel the pain as it's happening, it will come out some other way. It's still there. So you will feel anxious. You will feel depressed. You will feel shame. You will feel um, numb, which isn't a good feeling. That's still pain coming out sideways. It's, you just kind of shut down. Uh, it could lead to addictions, eating disorders, whatever it might be. But that's all pain coming out that hasn't been processed. Uh, loneliness, negative thinking, et cetera. These are all things that might, are, are curiosity points of what's down there, what's going on? And um, so then the, the goal is to unlink those things. So you're, you're, you're in the present recognizing, okay, there's a trigger here. This, is, this might feel completely unrelated in real time to that thing over there. It could be like you see someone or you're, you're working with someone who reminds you of someone else, but it might just be like their eyes, and you don't really realize it. And why is that person making me so mad? Uh, it might just be something like that. And so once you realize, oh, it, they remind me of this person, my feelings actually belong over here. So I need to process my feelings with that past hurt. It's not really about this person. What that does is it unlinks those two things so your pain feels less global and overwhelming, and you realize not everyone is like that. This person actually isn't like that. Maybe I'm frustrated with them, sure. But they're, it's not what happened over here. Um, so processing emotions, then identifying you know, what is wrong that happened in the present, also in the past. Uh, and identifying what's, you know, am I a victim, am I a perpetrator in this? How do I bring those things to atonement for, for um, justification for myself if I've sinned, for healing and forgiveness and justice if I'm the victim? So it doesn't infect and infect and infect in the worldly sorrow. Uh, okay, and then we gotta, we gotta pre-decide what is the true action? So if... Uh, you know, I've, I've identified how I'm reacting out of my wound. What, is, what does it look like to react out of security? I often have to look at how other people react out of security. I'm like, I don't really know what that's like. Uh, but that person over there seems to be able to do it. So um, what they're doing is this. I'm going to just try to apply that to my situation. Um, so, and it's okay to ask people about that too. I don't know how, to, this might seem embarrassing, and it is a little bit, but I don't know how to do that. Can you tell me how you handle that situation? Uh, and then you know, it's nice. Uh, okay, so, and then in those moments, those actions are what you need to carry out, even if you feel differently, okay? So then you can, you can notice how you feel, 
You can process those things. You can also engage with the truth at that time. But you've already developed, okay, I have someone I can go to for comfort for that thing. I know where I need to go with my anger. I know where I need to go with my sadness. So I don't, doesn't need to come out right now. I can engage with what I know to be true and good and right. And you can, you'll just get better and better at riding that huge wave that comes up um, in real time. Again, a lot of this might feel like driving in automatic and, or in manual instead of automatic at first. Okay, this one is uh, next on four on page 10. I have, or maybe it's not page 10 for you guys, uh, four under this section. Know your own mind because you have the mind of Christ. This one, uh, Adam Mabry preached on this in the, in the last main session, but he said something like, for some of us, we don't even know who we are without our pain. And I, that is so true. Okay, I felt that before. I realized when I was starting to heal that I didn't really want to let all of it go because I didn't know even what was on the other side. And that was almost scarier than just feeling anxious all the time. <laughs> that was scary. And this is a way for you to proactively, as you're trying to like take off all these layers in healing, this is a way to build formation, is to know it's sort of fun. Like, what do, okay, if I'm going to pick something, what, what show do I like? What do I, why do I like it? What ice cream do I like? Why do I like it? What restaurant do I like? Why do I like it? I, for a while, I, around all the election times, especially like really heated ones, I was, I would listen to politics podcasts, which I don't like <laughs> very much at all. Uh, but I listened to both sides because I said, you know what? I've never really engaged in politics because I don't think I want to have an opinion because that then I'm responsible for something. I have to, I'm responsible for what I think. So I challenged myself to listen to both sides and know what I thought and decide who I voted for instead of just asking someone else who I should vote for. And that might seem like a silly little exercise, but then there was something on the other side of what do I become when I heal? <laughs> There's something over there. So it could be kind of anything you could pick. Um, Finally, uh, spirit-grounded confidence. And this is, this is hard to just feel, so that you might not feel it, but you can know that when you show up in your limitations, God turns weakness into strength. And he, we have the power of the spirit uh, for self-control, for stewardship, for cultivating good things, for agency, for making decisions. We do have power. A lot of times we feel like we don't, especially when we've been victimized and we've been shattered. The last thing we feel is powerful. We feel powerless. So anytime you can more and more grow your muscles for exercising the power of the spirit that's in you, whether it be praying for someone else or you know, you have something on your mind and it's a scripture and you might, your voice might be shaking and you share it with someone. doesn't matter. Okay. Those are muscles you're building. Just show up and do the thing by the power of the spirit. And he will work in that, in you and in the other person. And, uh, seeing more and more the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God in the Beatitudes is described as like the uh, as people who are poor and the people who are pure in heart will see God, but the, like, it, it's like all these things that the world sees as powerless, okay? Powerless. 
And that is the last, that's the thing you've told yourself. I will never, ever, ever be powerless again because people hurt me. Okay, so the, embracing the kingdom of the world, or I'm sorry, of, the, of God, embracing the kingdom of God that you see in the Beatitudes, that you see in the Psalms of meekness, those things are powerful in the kingdom of God. But the world will not see them as power. And so you need to start to see when people treat me that way in the world, but I'm embodying the kingdom of God, it is not because of me. It's because they, the, they smell the fragrance of Christ on me and it is death to them and not life. Okay, so you are the messenger, not to the mediator. Christ is the mediator. And when we embody the power of the kingdom of God, some people will not like it. And that's going to feel like it's going to be triggering sometimes, okay, <laughs> when you've experienced trust and betrayal. Um, but learning to see how is this powerful? How am I deciding something for myself? That's because I trust and love God. That's going to help align everything. Okay, and then um, pursuing courageous love. This one is, I, I'm, I think this is, yeah, I'm ending on this one because this is sort of where all of them come together in a way. Uh, one of the best practices that helped me in healing from insecurity specifically and these anxious thoughts about myself or ways that I hated myself and feeling depressed and feel, just being so self-absorbed. And I mean that because that's what's happening, okay? And it's like a prison. Uh, was to, when I would feel that way, I would pick someone to do something kind for, something loving for. If you really want to, like, hit at the heart of the thing, you can pick the person you feel insecure about. <laughs> uh, so one, one memory I have around this is I started attending High Point a, a long time ago, like 12 years ago. And at the time, there were very few young people in the church. And I was uh, very, very inhibited and insecure at that time. I don't, I don't know how hard or easy that is for you to believe, but I don't even know how to express <laughs> how inhibited and insecure and nervous I was around people. And there were a few young people, and I had never interacted with them. And my feeling towards them when I saw them was, I bet they don't even know I exist. And I was angry. I was kind of like, why aren't they reaching out to me? Like, what? That, I was mad at them. But also, I um, felt nervous about them. I, I was judging them, though. I was putting on them. And I had this moment in the, in the lobby out there where I felt the Holy Spirit say, have you said hi to them at all? <laughs> you're, you're doing the thing that you're accusing them of. You're not talking. You haven't reached out to them. You haven't said hi to them. You haven't. You haven't loved them either. So why don't you try that and see what happens? And so we can get so caught up in how others are treating us and what we're scared of is going to happen and how they're, what they're going to think of us. The key to overcoming that is just to show up and try yourself to do the loving thing. And you might get, they might not react well, but whatever. You did the thing that you need to do. And when you do that more and more, you will cultivate these relationships of love for yourself where it's reciprocal and it's everything we want it's everything we long for it's everything we were created for it's the thing we're so scared to do because we've been hurt 
But as we come together in our inhibitions and bring our weaknesses, we will restore each other in those ways. All right, that's what I've got for you guys. And I want to pray and then um, open it up for questions. Okay, so um, God, thank you so much for this time together. And Lord, this is, this is so deep and so hard to unravel. It's like a necklace that's tangled and we look at it and we don't know where to start. So God, I pray that you would reveal to each of us just one place to start uh, pulling loose the knot and uh, that it would lead to another thing and another thing that um, you would, we would, we would be humble to reach out and to show up and to try and experience the restoration that you have for us in relationships with, with you and with other people, and even in our own um, perception of ourselves. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen.